Hello and welcome back. This episode focuses on developmental stages or psychosocial development. And this is where our ego forms. And this is where you can find, maybe in yourself, you will recognize certain stages that maybe you didn't master. And we'll discuss in another episode some activities you can do to help you to kind of regress and master those stages so that you can catch up to the developmental stage you should be in. If you have mastered all of these stages in a healthy manner, then you would be considered, uh, according to this theory, a well-adjusted, secure adult. So this will also help you to understand your children as they go through these developmental stages and you can foster growth and success in them while they go through these stages. So let's start with Erickson, Eric Erickson. He is the father of the psychosocial developmental theory. And this is one of the best known theories of personality in psychology. Much like Sigmund Freud, Erickson believed that personality develops in stages throughout our life. Um, Unlike Freud, Freud's psychosexual stages, Erickson's theory describes the impact of social experience across the entire lifespan. So one of the biggest elements in the psychosocial stages is the development of your ego identity, which is the conscious sense of self that you develop throughout your lifetime through social interaction. So according to Erickson, the ego identity is an ever-changing entity due to new experiences and information that come into our lives every day in interactions with others and with our environment. And in addition to ego identity, Erickson also believes that having that sense of mastery and competence is a big motivating factor for behaviors and actions. So each stage is concerned with becoming competent in that specific area of life. So if the stage is handled well, then you have a sense of mastery, you feel secure within yourself, you trust yourself. Um, And Erickson referred to this as ego strength or ego quality. And if the stage is not mastered or managed quite poorly, then you come out of it with a sense of inadequacy, you have a sense of unfinished business, you have insecurities, and probably some trust issues. So in each stage, the way Erickson described it is that you experience a conflict that motivates you into development. Um, These conflicts are centered on developing a psychological quality or failing to develop the quality. It's um, a potential for personal growth, but so is the potential for failure and stagnation. So the first stage is trust versus mistrust. And this occurs between the day that you're born and the day you turn one year old. And it's a very fundamental stage because this is when you learn trust. Being an infant, you're completely dependent and helpless. So you develop your sense of trust based on the quality of the caregivers in your life. 
So if the caregivers do their job well, the infant will develop trust and feel safe and secure in this world. If the caregivers are abusive, inconsistent, emotionally unavailable, or if they reject the infant, then the infant will develop mistrust and um, the, the world will feel unpredictable, scary, and inconsistent to them. Step two, or stage two, I'm sorry, stage two, autonomy versus shame and doubt. So the second stage um, takes place during early childhood, and it's focused on children developing a greater sense of personal control. This is like the potty training years, and um, potty training is a vital part of the process. So Erickson's reasoning was quite different than Freud's because Erickson believed that learning to control your bodily functions leads to a feeling of control and a sense of independence. Um, Other important events to gaining control in this developmental stage is when your toddler gets to make food choices, toy preferences, choose their own clothing and dress themselves. Um, Children who successfully complete this stage gain confidence and they feel more secure. And those who do not successfully complete this stage feel self-doubt, they feel inadequate, and they're definitely not confident. Stage three, initiative versus guilt. This is the preschool years and children begin to assert their power and control over the world by directing play and other social interactions. It's also the stage where they're testing you. They're testing your limits. Um, Children who are successful at this stage, they feel very capable and they feel like they're able to take the lead. Um, Those who do not master this stage successfully have a sense of guilt, self-doubt, and a lack of initiative. Um, Sometimes that can develop into toxic shame later on if this is not dealt with, if they don't get help. Um, The next stage, stage four, industry versus inferiority. Uh, This is for people between the ages of like 5 to 11 years old, and... In social interactions, children can develop a sense of pride in their abilities and what they're able to accomplish. Children who are encouraged and praised and commended by the adults in their life develop a feeling of competence and belief in themselves and their skills. Those who do not receive encouragement, um, they don't master the skill and Teachers and parents and peers seem to ignore them and doubt their abilities to be successful, which in turn causes them to feel that same doubt. Stage number five is identity versus confusion. This is uh, this happens during the adolescent stage of life, and in the adolescent stage, children are exploring and developing a sense of themselves and their independence. So when they receive proper encouragement and reinforcement through personal exploration, 
they master this stage and they come out with a strong sense of self and who they are and a feeling of independence and control over who they are and their world. Um, the children who don't master this, they end up very insecure, very confused about themselves and clueless about the future. They can't even imagine what the future might be like. They just, they're lost. Um, stage six intimacy versus isolation this is a period of early adulthood when you're exploring personal relationships erickson believed it was the it was vital that people develop close committed relationships with other people um when you're successful at this stage of development you develop relationships that are committed and secure And remember that each step builds on skills learned in previous steps. So Erickson believed that a strong sense of personal identity was very important to developing intimate relationships in early adulthood. Studies have demonstrated that those with a poor sense of self tend to have less committed relationships and they're more likely to suffer emotional isolation, loneliness, and depression. Also fear of commitment and emotional unavailability. Stage seven, generativity versus stagnation. So during adulthood, we continue building our lives. We focus on career and family. This is like middle adulthood. Um, Those who are successful during this phase, they feel like they're contributing to the world and they're an active... um, contributor in their home and in the community if if a person fails this part of development they will feel unproductive and uninvolved like like they're not part of this world they just feel isolated and like a total failure stage eight integrity versus despair this is the old age phase of development and it focuses on reflecting back on your life People who are unsuccessful in this stage feel like their life has been wasted. They have many regrets. Um, They'll be left with feelings of bitterness and despair. Those who feel proud of their accomplishments in life have a sense of integrity. Um, They successfully complete this phase, and that means they look back with very few regrets and a pretty satisfied mind looking back on their life and these individuals attain wisdom even when confronting death so stage one infancy birth to 18 months 12 to 18 months trust versus mistrust important events feeding eating Children develop a sense of trust when caregivers provide reliability, care, and affection. A lack of this leads to mistrust. Early childhood, two to three years. Autonomy versus shame and doubt. Potty training. Children need to develop a sense of personal control over physical skills and a sense of independence. Success leads to feelings of autonomy. Failure results in feelings of shame and doubt. Preschool, three to five years. Initiative versus guilt. Exploration. Children need to begin asserting control and power over their environment. Success in this stage leads to a sense of purpose. 
Children who try to exert too much power experience disapproval, resulting in a sense of guilt. School age, 6 to 11 years old, industry versus inferiority. Important events are school. Children need to cope with new social and academic demands. Success leads to a sense of competence, while failure results in feelings of inferiority. In adolescence, ages 12 to 18, identity versus role confusion, social relationships, teens need to develop a sense of self and personal identity. Success leads to an ability to stay true to yourself, while failure leads to role confusion and a weak sense of self. Young adulthood, 19 years old to 40 years old, intimacy versus isolation. Relationships. Young adults need to form intimate, loving relationships with other people. Success leads to strong relationships while failure results in loneliness and isolation. Middle adulthood, 40 to 65 years. Generativity versus stagnation. Work and parenthood. Adults need to create or nurture things that will outlast them, often by having children or creating a positive change that benefits other people. Success leads to feelings of usefulness and accomplishment, while failure results in shallow involvement in the world. And maturity, age 65 to death. Ego integrity versus despair. Reflection on your life. Older adults need to look back on life and feel a sense of fulfillment. Success at this stage leads to feelings of wisdom, while failure results in regret, bitterness, and despair. So in looking at the stages of development from that perspective, it kind of gives you some ideas when you look back. You might be able to pinpoint some areas where you were not supported, you weren't allowed to explore your independence, test the waters of your environment. Um, So in a future podcast that will come soon, um, we'll explore ways that you can master those developmental phases now and move forward. So the second theorist, Jean Piaget, Um, He has the theory of cognitive development, and that explains how a child constructs a mental model of the world. He disagreed with the idea that intelligence was a fixed trait and regarded cognitive development as a process which occurs due to biological maturation and interaction with environment. So um, he was the first psychologist to make a systematic study of cognitive development. And this includes a stage theory of child cognitive development. And what he wanted us not to measure how well children could count, spell, or solve problems as a way of grading their IQ. What he was more interested in was the way that concepts like the very idea of number time quantity, casualty, justice, and so on, emerged. Before his work, the common assumptions in psychology was that children are merely less competent thinkers than adults. 
but Piaget showed that young children think in strikingly different ways compared to adults. Children are born with a very basic mental structure on which all subsequent learning and knowledge are based. So this is Piaget's uh, theory. It's concerned with children rather than all learners. It focuses on development rather than learning per se, so it does not really address learning of information or specific behaviors. It proposes discrete stages of development marked by qualitative differences rather than a gradual increase in number and complexity of behaviors, concepts, and ideas. So it explains the mechanisms and processes by which the infant, the child, and then the adult develops into an individual who can reason and think. So the basic three components to Piaget's theory. Number one is your schema. Your schema is your building blocks of knowledge. It's your think of it as like your encyclopedia of beliefs that lives in your brain. Number two, adaption processes. These enable the transition from one stage to another. So it's your equilibrium. It's your ability to assimilate and also accommodation. So it's how, how, how resilient are you when it comes to adapting? Um, and then three is the stages of cognitive development, sensory motor, pre-operational, concrete operational, operational, and then formal operational. Um, back to schemas. Imagine what it would be like if you didn't have a mental model of your world. It, it would mean that you would not be able to make a lot of use of information from your past experience or plan for future actions. So schemas are the building blocks of such a cognitive model, and it helps us to form a mental representation of the world. And Piaget describes a schema as a cohesive, repeatable action sequence, processing component actions that are tightly interconnected and governed by a core meaning. So your schema is your core beliefs, and it's based on what you've seen and experienced and some of what you've been taught and the nature nurture argument does come into play when it comes to your schema. Um, in more, in more simple terms, Piaget called the schema, the basic basic building block of intelligent behavior. It's a way to organize knowledge. So it's like that encyclopedia I talked about. Um, and then I'm just going to skip forward here so that we can, okay, here we go. Assimilation and accommodation. Assimilation, which is using using an existing schema to deal with a new object or situation. So you're using your own core beliefs that are inside your brain in order to process new information. Accommodation happens when the existing schema or knowledge doesn't work and needs to be changed to deal with a new object or new situation. And equal equilibration sorry that word threw me this is the force which moves development along so Piaget believed that cognitive development did not progress at a steady rate but rather like in leaps and bounds 
An example of assimilation is a two-year-old sees a man who's bald on top of his head and has long frizzy hair on the sides. To his father's horror, the toddler shouts, Clown! Clown! (laughs) Or you're in the grocery store and your toddler sees a woman with short hair and she says, Look at that man! So that's an example of assimilation. Accommodation. In the clown incident, the boy's father explains to his son that the man is not a clown. Even though his hair might look like a clown, he's not wearing a funny costume and he wasn't doing anything silly to make people laugh. So with this new knowledge, the boy is able to change his schema of clown and make this idea fit better to a standard concept of clown. That makes sense. Okay, so the stages. The sensory motor stage is birth to two years old. And the main achievement during this stage is object permanence, knowing that an object still exists even if it is hidden. It requires the ability to form a mental representation, example, your schema, of the object. So you might notice that dogs don't quite have object permanence. You've seen the videos on YouTube where the owner holds up a blanket and the dog is looking at the owner and looking at the blanket and then the owner jumps out of the way and the blanket drops and the dog is totally thrown for a loop because the owner's gone um and and if you're eating if you're eating something on a tv tray and you drop a piece of food and it falls back in your plate the dog will look at the floor under the tv tray thinking that it's probably on the floor now um So object permanence, knowing that something still exists even if it's hidden. Um, Pre-operational stage is two to seven years old. During this stage, young children can think about things symbolically. This is the ability to make one thing, a word or an object, stand for something other than itself. Thinking is still egocentric, and the infant has difficulty taking the viewpoint of others. Concrete operational stage is 7 to 11 years old, and Piaget considered the concrete stage a major turning point in the child's cognitive development because it marks the beginning of logical or operational thought. This means the child can work things out internally in their head rather than physically trying things out in the real world. Children can conserve number age 6, mass, age 7, and weight, age 9. Conservation is the understanding that something stays the same in quantity even though its appearances change. Formal operational stage is 11 and over, and this begins at approximately 11 and it lasts all the way into adulthood. During this time, people develop the ability to think about abstract concepts and logically test a hypothesis. Sometimes if somebody has a developmental disability, maybe they're on the uh, autism spectrum, um, sometimes they'll stay in concrete operational stage um, or pre-operational stage, and they never quite leave that stage. 
which is okay. They just become a different learner than others. So moving on. The influence of Piaget's ideas on developmental psychology has been enormous. He has changed how people viewed the child's world and their methods of studying children. Um, His ideas have been of practical use in understanding and communicating with children, particularly in the field of education. So learning how somebody thinks kind of helps you to understand where their head is at. We're going to take a really quick break, and then I have something very important I would like to talk about. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right. Thank you for hanging in there. Now, talking about developmental theories and children, um, another topic for children has come up for me and for all of you, I'm sure. In the news and on social media lately, we've been seeing the hashtag Save Our Children, and there have been a lot of reports of children being rescued from human traffickers, uh, children who were kidnapped or had gone missing. So I felt like it was important to discuss this topic with all of you. Um, Children are susceptible to these predators through their phones, through their games, um, through, through the screen time, the electronic devices. They are susceptible. So it's really important that as parents, we do our due diligence and make sure we have all of their passwords, make sure that we check out what they're looking at now and then, watch their history. If we see or hear anything that is inappropriate, we need to immediately jump on it. I know um, one person found on her daughter's Instagram, a 50-year-old man approached her 13-year-old daughter on Instagram and left a message offering to be her sugar daddy and this woman messaged that guy back and said if you message my daughter again I will destroy you and she reported him of course which is good and then she blocked him from her daughter's account so it's good that um You know, we stay on top of all of their social media and make sure we're talking, keep an open conversation with our children and let them know that, let them know who's safe to talk to and who isn't. Basically keep it to the people that you know, family members, friends, and don't become friends with strangers on the internet. Um... I wanted to talk a little bit about child sexual abuse information. It's hard to tell, you know, if, if, you know, unfortunately a lot of us were abused as children sexually, 
there are a lot of us that never were as well, but the children who were abused sexually responded differently, depending on what developmental phase they were in, depending on um, their level of intelligence and, and stages. Were they a concrete thinker or not? Um, were they an abstract thinker? It, it just, it all depends on the person, the personality, the schema, the family, nature versus nurture and all that stuff. But everybody responds differently. But there are a lot of um, familiar, or should I say, um, similar, similar responses in people. So I just wanted to touch on child sexual abuse. Child sexual abuse is when an adult or an older child, or even a child of the same age, um, violates a child by touching their private parts or asking them to touch theirs. Um, The offender might make you do these things and be rough, or they might pretend it's a game, or they might give a reward to do it, bribe them, groom them. Um, The off the, the offender could be somebody that you know, a relative, a stranger, or another child. It's still never okay, even if they try to make it fun and make you think it's fun. So the, these are these are some ideas on how to present this to your kids. I know this is a tough thing to talk about with your kids, and some of you are already on top of it. You've already had these talks. But it's important that kids understand what exactly abuse is and they need to understand their body is their body and if they don't want to give somebody a hug they don't have to if somebody makes them feel uncomfortable in any way it's okay if they avoid them and stick close to you you know let them know that they have control over their own body what to do about sexual abuse in children you need to know that your body belongs to you If you're uncomfortable, it's okay to tell people no and always have a trusted adult that you can talk to. So this is something else to tell your children that, you know, you can always tell me anything and you will not be in trouble. If somebody has touched you inappropriately and you tell me you will not be in trouble. So don't be scared. How do children feel when they've been sexually abused? Well, because of the nerve endings in our bodies and all that, the actual physical touch part might have felt good because of, you know, the nerves and everything, the way our bodies are made. But at the same time, it feels horrible because the child is being violated. So they know that it's wrong, but they don't have that logic. So it's very confusing to them. And they tend to internalize it and feel like they're bad. Um, even, even if they like the person who did it, they still know kids just kind of instinctively know that's not right. Um, some children might have other feelings. Um, some children have feelings like being very angry at that person. They may be very afraid of that person who touched them and other children, um, you know, internalize it. They feel guilty and shameful about what happened. Sometimes when people have these feelings, the feelings affect the way they behave. So a child who's afraid might not want to sleep alone or be alone anymore all of a sudden. Um, A child who's been upset for a long time after the abuse has ended 
um, they, they, they usually won't feel better till they get some sort of help or counseling. Children are having a hard time with these feelings and talking to a counselor or parent can really help them feel better. And of course, a child who's angry um, might get into a lot of arguments or they might just feel sad or they might withdraw and isolate and just want to be left alone. So those are some of the signs to look for if there's a sudden change in your child's behavior. Um, Sexual abuse happens to a lot of children, unfortunately. And um, the best information that we have is by the age of 18, one out of every three girls and one out of every six boys experiences some form of sexual abuse. It can happen to boys and girls of all ages, all races, all religions. Um, Some sexually abused children are rich, some are poor. They're all from different neighborhoods, so um, it can happen to anybody. Why does it happen? Because there's a lot of disgusting pedophiles out there. Um, And it's very hard to know the reason why it happens to any one child. Um, But no child is responsible for what an adult does. So it's important to let your children know if somebody does that to you, it's not your fault. And it's totally okay. And we're going to take care of it. Um, Sometimes the offender will tell the child to keep it a secret. Make sure you tell your children that a good adult who is a good person will never tell them to keep a secret unless it's something like what you bought mommy for Mother's Day or something like that. Otherwise, any, any other adults trying to tell your child, this is between you and me, let's keep it a secret, tell your child, no, no secrets, that person's no good. Um... The person may say it's the child's fault um, or that the child or her family will get hurt if if the child tells. These are all just tricks. It's gaslighting techniques uh, to scare the kid, to embarrass the kid. Make sure you tell your kids. I don't care what the person says to you. If they say they'll kill all of us if you tell on them, you tell on them anyway because there's no way they're going to kill all of us. Um, Make sure that your kids know that that person's lying if they say something like that and try to abuse them. Um, You can't tell by looking at a kid if they've been abused, but you can tell by the way they act. Um, Make sure you keep an open dialogue with your kids so that they know they can always talk to you no matter what. And... If there's any suspicion that they've been through some sort of abuse and maybe it seems like they don't want to tell you, get them to a therapist. A good therapist will get them to talk about it. And don't expect it all to happen overnight like a miracle one session. She confessed everything or he confessed everything. It takes a while because your children have to build that bond and that trust with the therapist before they'll start talking. And a lot of therapists will use art therapy or um, play therapy. And it may seem to you like all they're doing is sitting there talking or playing a game. And that may, that may be what it looks like, but that's, there's a lot more than that going on. Therapists are good at utilizing different games and different art, um, arts and crafts, to get the child to open up. And sometimes the children will tell their story through a painting or through a scene in a sand tray 
or through telling a story. So it may look like all they're doing is sitting on the floor playing, but your therapist is hard at work and your child is building that trust with somebody that they will feel safe to talk to. So it's really important for uh, parents to provide all the correct information about healthy sexuality when you feel your child's old enough to learn about this. That is your decision. I'm not going to say what age you should start, but a good age is when they're in adolescence, when they're when they're about to have the hormone changes. Um, that was the age I chose with my child. That's the age a lot of people choose. But it's it's up to you as a parent. Um, you may worry about putting ideas in their head, but kids know a lot more than we think. If they've been abused, um, they need to be made aware. Sometimes they don't even know they've been abused. They just, something happens, and they go into the freeze mode, and they're not sure if it was abuse or what it was so they just don't say anything for years on end and then one day they get drunk at Thanksgiving and tell everybody you know what so make sure you explain to your children the facts about sex and the appropriateness and inappropriateness of people touching them and violating them make sure they know make sure they're very aware of kidnapping techniques people who you know we've all heard about the creepy van with the blacked out windows and the chain and the deadbolt on the back of the door sometimes it might just be an SUV it doesn't always have to be the creepy crazy van but make sure your children are very aware that if somebody approaches them and says hey can you help me find my dog or do you want some candy or Um, whatever it is, if it's a stranger, make sure your children know to start screaming and to run. Don't teach them not to trust strangers like that. Um, begin sex education when you're ready with your children. This opens the door for ongoing communication and it makes conversations about sexual issues acceptable and comfortable for everyone. And trust me, when your child hits those teen years and they're getting older and they start thinking about this stuff, you definitely will want them to come and talk to you. So open that door. Make sure that you're not judging. Make sure you don't show how awkward you feel, even though you feel very awkward. Make sure you don't show that. Make sure that you're confident and that they know that you are completely open and they can talk to you about anything. Pay attention to their developmental level. Be sure that um, you know when it's appropriate or how to word it appropriately for their developmental level. Uh, preschoolers, they're not going to be interested, nor will they understand anything about conception or menstruation or any of that. Um, but they can be taught the correct names for their body parts. School-age children are probably ready to hear about the details of conception, but keep in mind the child's maturity and developmental level. By the teen years, they're ready to discuss sexual desires, feelings, and activity, birth control, dating, and relationships. So take the initiative, 
provide information as it seems appropriate within your family and your culture. Be positive and use humor. Um, Reinforce the importance of being a good listener. You have to be a very good listener. Check out my active listening episode if you haven't already. Um, Prepare for difficult questions or issues that could arise. Um, Particularly if your child comes out and says, you know, uncle whatever touched me inappropriately. Um, Be open to discuss that. Stay in control of your emotions. You know, if you... If you say, what, your uncle touched you, and you run and grab a gun, I'm going to kill the motherfucker. Okay, now you're scaring the crap out of your kid, and they're going to probably feel bad for the uncle, because that's their uncle, and even though, you know, so, even though you will probably never have your child be near that uncle again, that child still has feelings for the uncle, uh, because it's their uncle. So, you really have to keep in mind Put, up, put, up, put your own feelings aside and think about your child's developmental level, their cognitive abilities, um, what's appropriate to talk with them about. And if they approach you and let you know that somebody did something, file a police report and take legal action. Get your child to the doctor for a checkup and immediately get your child signed up for some therapy. So we've talked about the rough stuff. (laughs) So today's topics were um, the developmental phases, cognitive development, and sexual abuse and sexual discussions with children. I hope this was helpful. Remember, hashtag save our children. There are so many children out there who need all of us to be on high alert. And take care of your babies. Keep them close. Don't let them out of your sight when you're out in public. And make sure that they're always walking in groups if they're with their friends going somewhere. Make sure they have self-defense classes. Make sure they have a whistle or something to make some noise. Um, Stun guns are legal as far as I know uh, to own. Just do make sure you keep your baby safe and keep the lines of communication open. Monitor all of their internet and phone activities. And on that note, I will end this episode. I wish you a beautiful day. Remember, you are love. You are healing. You are hope. You are abundance. And you are worth it. Have a great day.